You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. Hear what you've been missing. Audix is proud to introduce the new line of dynamic closed-back headphones designed for audio professionals and audiophiles to deliver the most accurate sound possible. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast. Uh, I'm here with with the fabulous Kyle Chernside. Kyle, but, uh, I'm here. And actually, it's this is this this is like old school podcast, dude. It's just you and me again. It's just like old times. Back to episode nine, bro. <laughs> back in the day. But that intro music is still the same, and it always it's gets still, me going every time. It's rocking, man. Yeah. I still Mike How about Green, that snare, you. dude? That snare lead-in oh, is pretty dope. The dude. snare does sound good, no matter if you're listening to crappy speakers or whatever. Snare sounds damn good. Yeah, that's just the whole record is just an amazing really does bit of engineering. It's really great, man. Oh man, he said slap. Uh, <laughs> I'm 48. That means something so completely I different. I said it with a smile, though. So you know, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start saying that a bunch. <laughs> Are you wearing a shirt this week, Kyle? Because you weren't wearing a shirt last week. I am, and my AC is still out. We're going on week three, oh, dude. Full warranties. Got to love them. Man. Um, we are joined this evening by my colleague from Rational Acoustics, Mr. Chris Tangeris, yes. who's the product manager of, of Smart 8. And uh, if you've ever taken a smart class, it's a good chance that it was from Chris. Indeed. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Ta-da. And uh, <laughs> we're also joined by our, our mutual friend, Mr. Fletcher McDermott, who is a uh, touring front of house engineer, uh, a good PA wrangler, all around cool guy to work with. And, and what we've all found out is he's also a vintage synth enthusiast. Fletcher, thanks for being here, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'll add, he's also a great student. He's uh, been in a few <laughs> classes. Yeah, you've seen Chris teaching a class. You've probably seen me taking the class. <laughs> 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 so, uh, Fletcher, you wrote an article for ProSound Web last year. I'll, uh, I'll dig it up. We'll put it in the in the description of this episode. Um, and basically, you talked about when you get into a venue that you've not been in before, you've got maybe 10 minutes to figure out what's going on with the system and then wrangle it, you know, to get it going for your show. Um, can you can you walk us through a little bit of that process? Because I think I think all four of us can really uh, contribute to, you know, our personal approaches for something like that. So why don't you start us off, man? Yeah, so that article was based on a tour. It was a smaller club tour, 500 to 1,000 cap rooms where, you know, we're not carrying PA. I just I was lucky to have a console with me, but otherwise, you know, it's PA du jour, walking into what you're walking into, whether it's a concrete cellar somewhere that they're calling a club or a nice theater on a coast yeah. somewhere. But, um, yeah, no one wants to wait on you to play pink noise for two and a half hours, and you're not changing angles of boxes, and you're not always allowed to dig as deep into the DSP as you may want to. So it's a lot of just find the big problems, make it as good as you can for 99% of the room, figure out when the entire stack's out of polarity with the other side kind of thing. A lot of those big picture that if you were putting up the PA might not be the problem, but that room that's just had the local cover bands for the last three years and has their first touring act in a while, you might find some things in the dust. And I, I really like, I think it's important, you know, an interesting thing for me is picking your battles. I mean, you yeah. told me, I remember we talked a couple of years ago, you had a room where like they had seven boxes per side and like two of them were blown out or, you know, had polarity. Like you can't take their rig down. You, you know what I mean? Like, so, so <laughs> yeah. you, you have to pretty quickly make a judgment call about, okay, well, we're just, we're just gonna have to go with this versus no, I think I can improve upon this quickly. Yeah, that room in particular was um, it was one of the smaller DMB series where they're wired as passive boxes. And I noticed the horns were out of polarity to the rest of the box on two or three of them in the middle of the hang. And it's like, well, we're not taking down our array, ripping it open, reversing polarity on two of the boxes for you. So what can you do? So what what do you do? You just uh, I, my answer would be I want to just really understand coverage wise what what that's doing and kind of walk around and listen so i know how what i'm hearing at mixed position is going to relate to what the audience is going to hear in other parts of the coverage am i close yeah exactly it really just came down to like well the horns being out of polarity was less of a problem than the low drivers being out of polarity so flipping the nl2s didn't help me and 
there were two kind of gnarly seams in the room where you noticed the polarity actually flipping if you walked up and down like the left hang. But people are standing in generally in one space. So five or six people probably had a weird kind of <laughs> a weird show from, you know, 2K and up. But the rest of the room, it, you didn't notice it. So that's funny. I was just having a conversation with someone about, you know, what do you do when there's just a problem that you can't actually fix? You know, and yeah. my answer was measure it. So at least, you know, exactly what the problem is so you can best make decisions at mix mm-hmm. to counteract you know, or at least, you know, confidently go forth knowing <laughs> what, <laughs> where things are going to be, where they are and, and, uh, you know, make sure that you're making your decisions with that in mind. I mean, Kyle, I'm sure you've run into, I mean, you, you sent me some texts from when you were out with the, the Melissa Etheridge tour last summer, I think, where you had a couple of days where, you know, you didn't have your tech with you. You had to kind of wrangle it yourself. And so, I mean, what's your process? You were, you're, you're just walking the space and listening to, what the coverage is doing so you can mix around it. Yeah. Listen first. And usually the first thing I'm looking for is drivers out or like Fletcher said, polarity problems and definitely point it out to the staff before I start, because uh, especially in a theater or club situation, uh, the, the last thing they like to do is check the PA after you're gone and blame you for something that was already out. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. a great point, man. Um, I definitely do that. And of course, like, every punk rock hardcore van tour that I did and metal tour going into, you know, church basements to small sticky clubs. Like that's always the first thing I did. Cause sometimes even on festy shows, like you only have 10 minutes. So, uh, just listening for the things that are going to stick out to you right away. Um, or find your bro, you know what I mean? Like walk with the house guy, or if it's a festival show, maybe try to go talk to some other front of house guys, go listen to mix. Um, you know, simple things, just make it simple, quick, flatten out your desk and rip, you know, sometimes you just got to do it. Hey, Fletcher, when you were on that tour, you're just talking about, uh, what was the monitor situation? I was running their in-ears from front of house, which isn't ideal, but in 500 cap rooms when i have a desk it's it works well in yours i mean that's the magic there yeah uh my vocalist had wedges also but they were kind of just a safety net from her not being used to having an engineer in years past and mm-hmm. you know what happens when the ears go out mid-show and you know what happens if there isn't a spare pack with you and you know yeah for me that's always been my hardest sort of hurdle because i mean i can tune the pa i can i can do that i can mix front of house but if i'm also required to do monitors from front of house and the band just wants a bunch of level on stage and you're in a smaller venue like that where the monitor can start to compete with the front of house system and you've already you know gone so far down a down a certain path you know that's when those that's the only time that i'm like man you know i really just wish i had more time or had been with that group a few dates before this or something because you know, you get to that, that those sort of situations where you're just fighting with yourself and then no one, and no one ends up happy, you know? Yeah, no, I was definitely lucky that that show is 90% in years. And I also think, you know, another important uh, thing that I want to know as soon as possible is, um, you know, so this idea, I mean, Chris, you and I did a gig was last March. That was a long time ago, man. Oh, seems um, like ago, yeah. And, and, and w- when we showed up, the first thing that Chris did was measure the PA from a bunch of spots in the room and then compare that to what he was hearing at mix position. And so, you know, immediately what your variance is like, and then, you know, how, how well your mix is going to translate. But a lot of venues, you just have to know that and you have to deal with it. And I was, I don't remember this club in Ohio, I think I was where, um, I was way, 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 way out of the out of the high frequency coverage at mixed position. And as soon as I walked forward, I was like, oh, my God, it's ridiculously harsh <laughs> up here. And so you just you just mix with that, take it into account. There are some rooms, very few, but you run into them where the house tech will be like, yeah, OK, we have three zones and you can take, you know, we have fills here and those can come up or down. So you can actually address some of these coverage variance problems to your to your liking or for however the needs of your show are and you know once in a while you run into that and i'll be like hey man can you take can you take this fill down 3b or or whatever and you can you can actually address that so i think that's something that is valuable to know is do i have any control over this situation or is it just i need to know for informational purposes i'm just going to take that into account when i mix you know yeah i mean control in in general uh is something that i try to have as much uh, well, control over as possible. <laughs> um, you know, I, I tell everyone that I 
you know, in all my classes and, you know, whatever, if you ever see me at a show, I always have my own DSP with me, you know, even if the company, cause I don't own gear, you know, I don't own any consoles or anything, but I use a lot of stuff. And, and for me, you know, having control over the system drive, even if it's just left, right subs fills, you know, just having a rudimentary sort of control over that is something that I really, uh, value and, um, and, you know, certainly don't take for granted. It's, you know, that's something for, uh, for the better part of 10 years, you know, now is like, I'm not going to go do a show if I can, if without my DSP, yeah. you know, just to and plug I, in front of the system. And let's, and so Fletcher, you own a, you actually own a Lake DSP that, that yes. goes with you, right? That's uh, your, yeah. Your I carried solution. it on that tour. And if I don't know, I have something good at a show, he'll use Ruby with me. And I think we should also mention, you know, you can do a lot of this um, if you can't bring a DSP. Um, one of the things that I do is all my show files are built so that my main mix never leaves the desk directly from the main bus. It always goes through a matrix. And so if I don't have a DSP and I need to do some EQ or something, um, I can do it on the matrix. And so you, it's sort of it's it's obviously not as powerful as having a DSP unit there, but it will get you through some of these situations where it's that or nothing. So that's kind of a good habit to get into just having it in your show file like that. So um, you can quickly deal with that. Yeah. I'm the same way. All my matrixes are set up for individual drives. So if I didn't have a DSP that day, it's not really a huge difference for me on the front end. Now you don't, do you mix to left, right? You mix groups to matrix directly, right? Yeah. I will skip a left, right bus completely. So it'll end up as a band bus and a vocal bus. And then those go into the matrix mixer to go to left, right sub fill. But there is no like traditional left, right bus on like a scene I set up. So you're like a, you're like a theater guy. Oh, don't kind of. don't how they do ever it. say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I've been getting more, I've been the Jim Yak school of mixing forever. Right. So it's like, Faders up, they go to left, right, and you do your thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just now getting into listening to Pooch and Raybold and these guys talk about how they're approaching this stuff. I've been getting into the subgroup thing a little bit more. Um, a part of it for me that was interesting is I never could really do it because the band that I that I work with the most, I mix their ears from front of house. So I, I don't have all these extra buses because right. they're in use for the ears, right? Um, but uh, I've been messing with having a band bus and you know, now I've got like a drums and bass bus and a keyboards and guitars bus and a vocal bus and like just putting a little side chain compression on the vocals and on the guitars and and the Mm -hmm. keys to keep them under the vocal and just, just a touch. And it's, it's really interesting. And I don't think it's the right choice for me for a lot of the stuff that I do, but for a couple of particular applications, I found it really helpful. So that's something I'm, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet with. Wow, man, that's awesome. I can't imagine mixing not like that. I mean, to me, <laughs> you know, to me having, uh, having my right hand on the buses and, and, you know, whether it's a, it's a, you know, subgroup or a VCA, um, you know, just having the, I, I, I tend to use VCAs more because, uh, because of the relationship to the effects, um, and the buses sort of stay where they are for, you know, a particular sound. But, um, yeah, like the, you know, the, having the, the effects bus for the vocal reverb and whatever for those intimate moments where you need it and that kind of thing. And then having the vocals and the band on two different channels. So you can, you know, pump up the band and when needed and whatever. I yeah, one, I, one hand on your cell phone, looking at Facebook. One <laughs> hand on BCA. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yep. I mean, well, yeah. I, let it I, ride. I've always, yeah, the VCAs <laughs> have been like, that's my whole deal is the VCAs, but, what I noticed is when I in particular, I have three guitars on stage and keyboards and I have a, a female lead vocal who's, you know, her, oh. she's sitting right in that range, that mid range. And so the whole show, I was just seesawing guitars and keyboards and vocals. And I was like, man, this is not elegant, you know? Um, and it's also like, it's kind of brute force. Like it sort of gets audible after a while where you're, you're, you're throwing these faders back and forth. Um, and it doesn't always sound great. So, in that particular situation, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try the subgroup thing. So I, I still do mix on VCAs, but just having my subgroup to kind of tuck the guitars just under the vocal, just when she's singing. Um, and I just, I just moved that band to my, my little Alan Heath SQ5. Shout out Jeff Holly. Oh, nice. For, uh, setting me up. It's a nice little desk. I'm really happy with it. Um, and, uh, that's got, uh, dynamic EQs. And so that has really been pretty neat. 
um, just to kind of clean up the edges of, of my, my vocals too. So that's, I'm kind of, I'm kind of turning into, I'm not like full pooch. I'm not doing 92 <laughs> plugins yet, but I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm having fun. Oh, no. And I, I think we should say, at least in my opinion, for the younger folks, I found a lot of this pretty overwhelming when I was starting to mix. Like this is an act that I've been rehearsing with and, and mixing for years. So if I'm doing a one-off, I am absolutely not going like, hey, how many dynamic EQ bands can I dial in? I think it's important because I think if you get if you get that card ahead of the horse, you can really get into trouble. Um, and I know Fletcher, you're 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 you use a lot of plugins at the console too. So I mean, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. I don't like to say a lot, but I I use them more than zero. <laughs> it is a number more than zero. It's uh, you know, <laughs> but um, you know, I actually just went through one of my scenes for the band in question from the uh, article from last year, but I was going in to compare my with wave scene versus my safety, you know, kill waves macro and to see how close I could really get them. And it's sitting there with near fields in my room. I had a console at my house for a little while during quarantine and I had them to, you know, they're a DB or two off in some little places, but if I had to do a show without waves, it's not going to kill me. Yeah, I, I agree too. I've had, you know, people that just you know as a as a i typically act as a regional pa tech you know mixing the locals uh or mixing the openers and then the national will have a an engineer that may or may not bring their console and every once in a while someone will be like you know your console has a c6 right you know has wave c6 right you know or whatever particular waves plugin and and it may or may not and and i you know i especially now i'm not keeping my waves licenses active you know so um, not that I need them, <laughs> but, um, uh, I've never, I've never wanted to, uh, I never wanted to have something that was, I don't know if it, the right term is a crutch. I never wanted to have to rely on a particular thing that can disappear if I forget to renew it or I, my, something happens to my eye lock, you know, my, my fob or whatever. So I've always just tried to make the best happen with whatever the console I'm given has stock and then, you know, sort of understand my limitations therein and, and, you know, do what I can to make that work so that if something were to happen and the, you know, those waves plugins, whatever were to go away, I'm not going to be like a diva about it. You know? Yeah. Your show is still your show. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I think, I also think, um, and this is a great time to mention, I think we've mentioned it before and, and Kyle's mentioned it before too, is, um, oftentimes someone will say, Hey, um, can you help me with this mix? It doesn't sound good. And, the best way to fix it is just bypass everything. You know what Start I mean? Bypassing stuff, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you can really dig yourself into these holes with too much processing. Um, I, my thing with dynamic EQ, it's it's a really really powerful tool. I will try to get as far as I absolutely can with you know whatever's on the console stock compression and EQ. And then usually if I'm going to need it, there's like one band that's kind of poking out. Like okay, when this singer gets loud, I get a little too much one K, and I'll drop a filter right there. Um, so I'm not going straight to dynamic EQ. I'm not ever using, you know, four or six filters of dynamic EQ. To me, it's like it's the final bit when uh, it takes me that last one percent. And I think, you know, that's that's where it's been helpful to me. Where I'm not going to die if it if I don't See, have it. I do know? jump into dynamic EQing, especially on vocals, very early nowadays. Just be, I mean, any console that's come out in the last five, ten years that isn't a budget entry level console probably has dynamic EQ on it. I, I think that's fair to say and. To not fully decimate, you know, just start chopping at your vocal full range, you know, just, oh, like a proximity effect. I'm just going to drop 10 dB off of 250. And it's like, well, no, I only need that when they eat the mic for half of their words. The rest of the time I can get more gain out of this mic if I don't just start dropping just flat filters into it. And I have a dynamic band there that only hits, you know, on the hard words, on the hard consonants or so. Yeah, and keeping keeping the air in the vocal when they're singing mm-hmm. quietly, if that's a dynamic enough band. That's- exactly. Yeah, like uh, an actual like compressor at a ratio of, like greater than three to one, or like actually EQ bands. Just, I mean, they're tools, and I use them all over the place. But if I can get away with doing with a dynamic band that doesn't need to be active for every single sound a singer makes, I'm probably going to get better game before feedback on the show overall. So that's uh, a really interesting point, man. Um. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I want to take a step back and just go back to the article that we were talking about. Um, I have a, I mean, I have a process for when I only have a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, be, so are you putting a microphone like at front of house? Or are you like 
are you just listening for stuff? I mean, when you like, we were saying identifying polarity inversions, I mean, are you, you know, basically throwing a microphone in the center of the venue and then just, you know, turning systems on and off and seeing what happens? I mean, what's the, I mean, you know, what's your thing? I've, I don't want to misquote myself from an article a year and a half ago, but, uh, yeah. well, I mean, you know, consider this maybe, an, well, an, I'm, an, I'm a, looking at update, it right you know? now <laughs> and I, I will just mention that it was number nine out of the entire year of 2019 on Pro Sound yeah, Web, which is pretty cool, man. <laughs> Top yeah, 10. Yeah. What's up? But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I always throw noise through everything first just to make sure everything's working and doesn't sound terribly broken. And then three measurement average on one of the main hangs a filter or two after I average it, if it needs it, you know, see where the, like what it's looking like and then Mike in the middle to make sure both sides are the same. Yeah. Are you, are you generally trying to flatten your PAs out or you, do you have a target tilt? How's that working for you? Or is that dependent on, I am not dependent on the genre of music. I am a big sub haystack guy. I want 12 dB out of my low end kind of thing over a curve. Like I don't want a flat PA. Ever. I don't think that's big. I don't think that's big. I think 12 dB is like, I, to me, that's mm. the sort of starting point, you know? Yeah. I, w- I want that classic, like what L acoustics put is puts is like their target curve kind of thing. Like what a K2 system sounds like is kind of the frequency response I want out of a PA. I walk up to. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the huge mid low mid rise, right? It this, comes so, from 500 you know. up to a hundred right, is plus right, 12. Right. But yeah, the, the rise starts somewhere between like five and one K. Yeah, I, t- I tend to to not have as much low mid in my PA because I end up always sucking a bunch of it. Just it always ends up coming out of the channel strips, you know. So it will on um, vocals and guitars, but I do a lot of track acts, so I usually gotcha. want yeah. that kind of lower gotcha. mid region yeah. to feel it. Yep, that's where the the gut punch is. Yeah. You know, um, it makes sense. Yeah, but um, I think I've only talked with this about uh, with you, Michael, before, but how target curves don't always work for me if I'm on PA du jour and, you know, one day it might be a, you know, a beautiful line array with hung subs and it, you know, the PA itself is going down to 60, no problem. And then the next day it's, you know, I have a smaller, you know, point source system, you know, just a box per side and two subs in the middle. And it's that target curve isn't, doesn't translate the same way for me, you know, (laughs) or you're just not going to get it. (laughs) Or you're just not going to get, I mean, I can make a, you know, a, a small self powered, you know, a $3,000 PA and a tiny little club. Like I can make it say that the subs are 12 DB above the tops. Right. Will it sound good? (laughs) Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yep. Yeah. You start turning it up and you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's that. Not only is that a great point, I think another point, that's sort of related to that is this concept of low frequency. Like those two, if you're outside and you're, you know, in a super reverberant room, like you could get to a point where those two systems look the same in terms of their curve. They do not sound the same because the room is contributing so much of that low frequency tilt up. So you're going to see that energy there, but that doesn't mean that it's direct sound from your subs. You know what I mean? So, um, so I think, you know, to me, it's like a really nice quick read on like, okay, how crazy is this how far away am I? But yeah, I, I think that just due to the psychoacoustics of, you know, that low frequency that the room's contributing and how our ears are processing that. I think, um, I, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's the technical basis of what you're saying, which is, you know, that that doesn't fully describe how this is going right. to sound to us. Yeah. I mean, I'll, if I had to paint like really broad strokes here, I trust a, a program like smart for everything above, you know, 300 Hertz, just, I'll just look at a screen and let it tell me if there's a problem for the most part, but I will just turn it off for getting my subs to the level I want them and then knock in alignment. But yeah, I mean, at a certain point, that's a feel thing. You know, the, the high frequency there's, there's generally some amount of control, but if you're in a, in a room, it's a, it's, it, it can really vary, you know, and th- how much time do you have to just keep measuring different positions? And I think that was the whole point of your saying you have 10 minutes. So you really do just go back to trusting your ears and what does it feel like, you know, cause the high frequency stuff, I mean, this is, this is for me, you know, particularly something I focus on is I want unified tonality. And in my opinion, tonality is not subwoofers, <laughs> you know, tonality is, is all the power band stuff, you know, tonality is two and up or so, you know, um, below that, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it sounds a little wonky, you know, around one, 25 or whatever 160 you know depending on you know what type of system you're using you get a bunch of 15 inch speakers 160 sounds weird you know um 
but uh you know the having a tool like smart or an analyzer to make sure all your high frequency elements you know the the full bandwidth stuff is is the same i mean that's huge and i'm not gonna yeah i can't get there by listening to tracks nearly as quickly as i can get there by just putting out a measurement microphone and i don't i frankly just don't want to do that either you know i don't want to be walking around spending however much time i don't actually have to listen to a song that i don't actually like listening to (laughs) to uh you know evaluate a pa system when i can just throw a pink noise up for you know three minutes and um so chris i saw you were watching uh westworld on facebook i think a month or two ago when it was ending right yeah so my tuning song played in westworld for a moment and i hadn't heard it in three months at that point two months at that point (laughs) and it just started like the baseline started playing i'm like why do i know this song and i'm like oh it's that song i listen to every day for two years you know yeah that's funny that's too funny was it it was the last season Uh, yeah it was in uh, episode six or seven i think yeah yeah that well so, it takes place in singapore <laughs> so it's a little bit more modern yeah. stuff you know anyway I, before we get into the all the synthesizer fun stuff um <laughs> I, there's kind of an elephant in the room with this whole you know perceived low-end thing and to me is that that stuff that 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 extra low end that you're hearing that's time domain ringing mm-hmm. right so it's not about there necessarily being this big peak there in the frequency domain, it's just that that energy hangs around longer. Right. So you can have a system that looks flat, but just, you know, if 63 hertz is going to ring for a second and a half, um, it's not going to sound flat. And so that's where you get into, like, you can't hear that away because it's it's a time domain. You know what I mean? So so that's sort of actually I just did it. I did a tuning today where it was this theater that we usually fly a line array in and they they installed point source boxes. And so, you know. I tuned it the same way, you know, the same curve and everything. And I played the track and it just didn't sound the same. And the, the TD was like, dude, why is it low in so muddy? I'm like, it's not in the PA. That's your room. And the reason you don't usually hear that is because our line array can steer that stuff a little bit better down there, you know? And so that's an acoustic treatment thing. So I think that's, that's a really interesting kind of gotcha when you get into like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of cut this frequency out because it's ringing. Yeah. You're you're gonna reduce the initial level of it, but it's still ringing. It's still gonna decay like that. So it's still gonna sound not weird sounding. <laughs> I think the technical term for that is warmth, <laughs> as opposed to tightness. No, it's analog. <laughs> the, the walls are analog. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All know, right, look, so <laughs> you know, I love um, me a pair of eight fifties or you know eight fifty stack. Yeah, so uh, you, you know, go. it's all about yeah. that warmth. It's just that, that energy is just all over <laughs> the place. You know. I also want to know uh, if, you know, Kyle, when, when you walk up to your tech, are you, um, what are you asking for, for a target curve? Do you, do you have input on that or you just let it rock or, I mean, do you, do you have a specific request? No, I, um, and, and we've talked about this on a couple episodes. Like when I went out with uh, Dave, when he had the K1 out with Dave Rat and I watched him do it. He was doing an angled curve on his, mm-hmm. like he'd put a string across his RTA. Yep. Yep. That's what he and, likes. And, uh, <laughs> I was in, I was the middle band. So Jason Dector was with the opener and I was with the middle band. And then he was with the headliner and we'd just follow him around. And then I'd kind of take what he did for his curve and try to flatten that back out within the first <laughs> two songs. Um, of, of my set. And it was, it was awkward doing that. So originally I always tried to go as flat as possible, but we were trying for SPL in a lot of the venues where I had it, my own tech, obviously, cause it was so loud. Um, so I tried to go as flat as possible, but in, and I'm glad you talked about the sub energy like that, because in an arena, that's all you deal with all day is, yeah. <laughs> is <the> lingering <laughs> sub energy. I mean, Superdome, I mean, any kind of thing that has a dome in the name. Like, <laughs> uh, audio focuser. Yeah. Journey is actually still playing in the rafters from <laughs> 1978, if you listen real closely. So it was always a struggle, but, um, yeah, definitely as flat as possible. And this was the time before smart as well. So using your ear to get everything as flat as possible, using pink noise and like knowing what frequencies were popping out was like ear training galore, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's weird to hear 
it talked about now because we never talked about it that way. Um, it's, it's a lot more focused and scientific now. Back then, we were just trying to get things from stop poking out, you know, and um, it was different. Uh, now, obviously, I, I put up a microphone and look at the curve and, and the whole nine yards. And, and like Chris said, you know, I'd rather waste three minutes with pink noise and a microphone than listen to some song I hate. And I'm glad, I'm, gl- I'm glad he put it like that because it's true. Like if you have 10 minutes and you just got to grip it and rip it, like just throw on some pink noise, annoy everybody stocking the bar for three minutes and, and be done. And like you said, hopefully you're carrying your own desk. I mean, now if you're stepping into a venue where you're using house console, that's another story. You know, you might have to cut three minutes, two minutes out of your three minutes of pink noise and go different approaches there's just so much to do you know um you kind of go almost into an automatic pilot that's that's why i sometimes with these podcasts i sit back and listen because sometimes i don't know what the fuck i'm doing (laughs) tell you the truth i just go into automatic pilot and my body just like takes over and i do stupid stuff like i realized i was leaning my hip against the console why? Because I was listening for sub frequency with my hip. I was listening to vibration of the room, you know? Um, so there was like little stupid things that would point out at me. Oh, I am kind of methodically doing this thing, but it, seriously, like 10 minutes, you're on automatic pilot. You just got to go, you know? Yeah. It's funny you say that when, uh, when Michael mentioned what I was doing at that gig that we were at, I was like, I did that. Cause it's just, I don't even think about it. You know, it's just, you start working and that's, you know, you just go and and uh, yeah. and you say, "I'm going to put my microphone here, here, here." Blah blah blah, and you you know, tappy tap tap on the keyboards and whatever, and you know, your computer, and you're on your way. Um, yeah, and and you get more <laughs> efficient. The more yeah. you do it, you're just like super efficient. Like, I started working for a manufacturer and quit touring as much, and then I started picking up one-off gigs, and I noticed that it was it was seriously like riding a bike. Like, mm-hmm. I just almost, if you want to call it, it's like audio blackout you kind of go into this mode uh, of your work mode and you just start going. And uh, I wish I would have took notes because then I would have picked up all these silly little things that I do so I can uh, explain them a little bit more methodically. And maybe there is some Mm -hmm. science behind it, but right now it's just like 10 minutes. That's like, pressure time let's go like that's fun for me yeah well i mean a few comments on on that you know the as far as coming up with a vocabulary to explain it you just have to start teaching i mean i didn't have a vocabulary for this stuff until i started teaching it and then you realize that there's actually ways to quantify it um another thing you mentioned uh you know that it's become much more uh i think you said scientific now yes Um, definitely scientific so this is something that i've been uh, talking more and more about whenever I have the opportunity to give a lecture or anything, but, um, and this is something that also Bob McCarthy, you know, he, he is a great pedagogue in, in terms of coming up with vocabulary for these things as well. But he, he said, you know, there's an art science line. Um, and basically, you know, we're, we do the science to enable art and, uh, and that's something that I've, I've been running with for a while. And so I was banging around the back of my head and, and, you know, something I'll say to people is like, look, you know, what do we, what do we call ourselves? You know, we call ourselves sound engineers. You know, what do engineers do? Engineers do science. You know, <laughs> we have to do some amount of science, you know, to enable what we consider our art, which is, you know, making, you know, music sound good um, I, for people. I love that, dude. And I was just thinking about that today because I, I'm working on a PowerPoint for a thing I'm doing mm-hmm. in a couple of days. And, you know, it's for, for a bunch of theater people, right? And so for me, the thought that I had that was right along those lines is this stuff is necessary for the artistic expression to to work. So what I mean is if if Kyle's mixing and he goes, yep, this is the perfect level. This is exactly the level I want. Well, if your PA is 20 dB louder in the front of the room, that decision is is not effective, right? Like that's a meaningless decision because no one else is getting to the same level. And uh, you know, if he says this is the the perfect guitar tone, this is how I want to balance the vocals or the tone of the whole mix. You know, these these tonal decisions. Again, if if the tone of your system is different in every seat, then you know we have to eliminate. We have to 
get control over those variances in order for the decisions that Kyle's making at the mixing console in order for hey. those to, to have effect let's over the ch- space. Let's change the arbitrary name to someone else. <laughs> Fletcher. Yeah. Fletcher. Well, Fletcher's his own tech. So, um, well, so Kyle, when you, when in, you know, in the back in the black and white touring days, so we say, Holy cow. Um, Oof. <laughs> were, Oof. were you carrying a graphic across your master bus? Or you, you didn't, you weren't carrying a DSP. You were, what were you doing to tune your, tune your your system when you were up what was your way to do that well we had the the lake we have we had omni drive we had vss stuff we had um of course we had clark you know dn 360s or oh yeah lights or whatever we had but you know we did have dsp at the time and then first rig prism rig had dsp but you couldn't really get into it because it was all locked out but there was trickery to be had you know (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and we did a lot of subgrouping and parametric EQ on that stuff. Uh, so we, we were big Mick always put it to like every hole on his XL four was plugged. You know what I mean? So it, it, it became a little bit easier once you could plug every hole and use it to its optimum. Um, and holy cow, I'm trying to think of the, Obviously, Claire bought a ton of the Lake Dolby. Remember the big circular yep, screen the ones? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so I remember having those right when they first came out, too. And I was like super stoked because I could walk around with the tablet and it was like mm. a gateway. And they that was a, I think that was a game changer in a lot of ways. I mean, that was huge. It was huge. And, and like you said, it enabled engineers and system techs to be able to take that piece with them into a club or a theater show that they weren't able to last time you know and that's where you run into the issues where you can't get into their processing or like you got to run interference i okay i i'll go ahead and say it on this podcast i used to tour with this cat and he did front of house and i did monitors and what i do is i'd run interference with the house people so my front of house guy could go back and hack all the processors <laughs> so in about 80% of the clubs in the United States, you could probably still find Andy's name in those processors. And I would suggest that you use his because he's a, he's a damn good system tech. <laughs> um, so here's the that thought. If you're, if, yeah, if, you're, if you're walking up to a console and you're going to spin up a show file, you're not bringing in a show file, right? You're not sharing. It's just console du jour. Um, I am less picky about not 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 picky at all but i'm i'm a little less picky about fine tuning the system response because i don't have a show file that i need to sound correct i'm going to mix into it you know what i mean so so i don't go as far with making sure that the target curve is exactly where i want it i just if it's if it's you know reasonable on its face i'll gladly move on because that stuff's going to sort itself out when i when i put the mix together yeah i mean for me you know i'm again I I work with basically the same company all the time when I do shows and it's either it's one of two PAs it's either their JBL Fairtech rig or it's their EAW 850 rig and and uh you know I'm always with their you know venue or profile console or whatever and um and so I for either one of those I kind of know where I want it to be for me to be able to do what I do as a mixer and it to do what I expect it to do. And that's really what it comes down to. Cause you know, I'm working for a manufacturer as well. So I'm not, you know, just like Kyle was saying before, I'm not in a position to be touring right now where I, you know, need to, uh, you know, have a show file that matches it's, it's, you know, it's whatever band I'm thrown with and we have a good long sound check and make it happen. I was laughing when Kyle said he was, you know, with your hip against the console, there was, I don't remember where, where I was, but I was in some club and they had, um, the the p- mix position was just totally in a bizarre place and you couldn't really tell what the low end of the PA was doing out in the room. But for whatever reason, the structure born stuff would come up through the wooden riser. So I ended up mixing without shoes on because I could really, it was like a drum thumper for front of house. Like I could really feel um, at more accurately what the low end was doing with the, with the, with the structure born vibration rather than, you know, audibly, it was just the, the placement of it was weird. And I think it's just kind of one of those things where you don't even realize you, you're doing it at the time, but at the end of the show, you're like, wow, I just mixed in my socks because I could tell, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just, it's one of those things that you, you kind of don't notice you're doing until after. And, and I think anyone that's gone on the, you know, the small venues of America tour has probably a couple stories. My, like uh, that. my old house gig. Our, you know, visiting front of house would always be on the floor in a proper position, but our in-house front of house was on the second level. So anytime we had a 
sub heavy show where I like, you know, we had hip hop openers or whatever it may be. And I knew I was going to be pushing them. You'd watch a water bottle on the counter and that's how you could tell where your sub level was for the day. <laughs> if, if it that's amazing, moved, you were in a good place, but if it started actually bumping, you were too far. <laughs> that's hilarious. That that's really wild. Um, yeah, it was funny. I did. I uh, went out to go see my man, Craig Porter, who was doing the Tanya Tucker tour before it was actually the last concert I went to before, you know, uh, they stopped <laughs> doing concerts. <laughs> and, um, he was, we, he was up on this, like the front of a balcony on the second floor and he was way closer to the PA, um, than most of the audience. And so all the sub energy was going straight forward at him at mixed position. And the audience is, is like kind of off axis and farther away. And so, at front of house, it just sounded like horribly tubby, like 100 to 200. Like he was like, dude, that's so fat. And the house guy's like, no, 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 mix, mix fat, mix like that. And I went down when the show started up, I went down to kind of stand where, where the audience was seated. And I was like, oh, it's perfect down here. <laughs> I came back up I'm like, no, it's fine. Cause he was a little worried about it. So it's, those are kind of those things where like, hey, walk the room when you get in there. You know what I mean? And, and I want to know about that. I can't, I can't fix it, but I need to know about that. So, so I don't mix a ridiculously weird sounding show for most of the listeners. Oh, well, are they drinking? They'll never know. Yeah. More bass, man. Not the bass. <laughs> I always love the, uh, the, the guy who's super drunk and also probably super deaf. Who's like, can't hear the symbols. Turn up the symbols. I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to turn up the symbols. You're drunk. <laughs> oh, I've never had that happen before. You never had the unsolicited I've, mix advice? Yeah. Not, not, about not about symbols. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's because the alcohol, it dulls your high end like pretty severely. So, uh, no, that's um, cocaine. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, um, we're mixing up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's usually the light guy. The lighting guy's like, dude, I can't hear the symbols. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that bus just went by pretty good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, that's funny. I remember getting a, someone told me to turn up the trumpet player. And I was like, what are you talking about? The, the horns are balanced great. They're like, well, trumpet player is my son. I want to hear him. Well, you're going to hear him just as loud as everyone else is because well, he's, he's not taking a solo. So <laughs> that's the trick. I, when you do like, you know, the high school and the college, <laughs> the theater stuff, yeah. like you've got this tiny little girl who's way upstage, right? Like not wearing a mic because she's in the cars and not singing very loud. And, you know, her parents are there and you're like, I couldn't hear her. I'm like, nah, no one can hear her. She's not singing. Like, <laughs> she's not making any sound out of her face. Of course you can hear. Her. Those are, those are the tricky, you know, I'm like, look, I don't know what to tell you. Nowadays, you can't beat people up anymore. Nope. <laughs> sorry <laughs> thanks Chris at least you're with me uh, well you know like raise your hand if a fight, the fight's broken out in front of house before you know <laughs> um, good thing this isn't on video yet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alright so uh, before we wrap up uh, Fletcher and Chris y'all are both like vintage synthesizer uh, aficionados and I didn't know that until Fletcher came on our zoom call the other night and he was just amongst the synths and I was like dude I didn't know you did synths so uh, Chris you're working on a tell us about your project man uh, yeah I mean I just recently got into the whole like synth wave retro wave uh, goes by a bunch of names but like the whole uh, you know 80s vibe uh, you know synth music nostalgia throwback stuff that's going on um, dig it you know, you know, we had mentioned artists like the Midnight and uh, uh, was it FM eighty three, uh, Gunship, Time Cop, a uh, bunch of guys like that. Um, is it FM eighty three? M eighty three. I'll go on the record. I've never heard of FM eighty four. Yeah, sorry, I always confuse it too. I hadn't even heard of this genre until you mentioned it to me, Chris. And I love that Kyle just rattled off seven bands in that genre. And I added to them because I mean, we're we're both super into. I mean, it's just it's so fun, and it's like you know, if you're if you're a person that was around during that time period or grew up like myself, you know, grew up in the '90s and that was just, you know, what was around. It's just really fun music because we have, you know, the modern production and, you know, sort of pop aesthetic as well that's kind of going into the stuff. I mean, bands like The Midnight that are really doing the, uh, you know, they're they're, they're pushing so the good. pop aesthetic into this, you know, synthwave retro sound. And it's if you look at their... Because they kind of get pushed into the whole uh, dance music revolution. So it right. kind of gets uh, blocked out from being almost like a pop or a new 
thing that people are listening to. Um, I know Midnight has done some remixes of some great artists mm. as well. So, yeah, man. Uh, yeah. If, if I ever get my job back as the roller skate uh, ring DJ, <laughs> I will play your stuff, Chris. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think like We're the gonna... Midnight's albums, you know, the, well, their first thing they released was uh, great, but like their album Kids and uh, Days of Thunder, I think, are just, you know, really um exemplify the genre in sort of pushing the retro wave into pop music and so anyway i've i've started doing a thing where i'm i'm i got it in my head that i wanted to do a song for every like big arnold schwarzenegger 80s hit movie um and so uh the first one i tackled was total recall and so like i'm doing it totally on the nose i mean like literally quote recording quotes you know i have my headphone output of my interface I have two headphone outputs, you know, the one that I use for my actual headphones. And then I have another one where I just loop it into an input. And so I'll stream these movies on, you know, whatever, wherever I can find them online and I'll record them back into my DAW and then, and then I'll write a song around it, you know? So, um, I did one on total recall. I named the, I named the song eight ball cafe because, uh, there's a, there's in Venusville and total recall, there's, you know, all these different clubs and one of them is called eight ball cafe. And I figured, you know, the, the reference to eight ball and being about the eighties, I just thought it was too on the nose and perfect. Oh, yeah. So, you know, when, when this episode comes out, when we get to post this episode, I'll post my synth wave, uh, playlist to Hell our yeah. Facebook group. Awesome. Yeah, man. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm calling the project the mall cinema, you know, cause like, the cinema of when I was growing up was in the mall, you know, and, and, uh, that again, just nostalgia vibes. And so I'll be, you know, over the course of however I, whenever I finish them, the next one I'm working on is the Terminator. Um, but you know, just basically doing a series of songs that are synth based and influenced by Arnold Schwarzenegger movies that came out in the eighties. <laughs> and stay tuned after the, uh, the Mike green outro here, cause we're going to, I'm going to hit you up with one of the tracks here. Oh, Check great. it out. What's the name of it? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, well, the first one's 8-Ball Cafe. Doing, so. Okay, we're doing the 8-Ball Cafe one. Yeah. All right, sweet. So, everyone, everyone, check it out. Don't don't flip to the next episode yet. Check out Chris's Chris's jams. There you go. I, I, it's pretty cool, man. I was I was driving around. Uh, man, Joy and I were driving, going to get some lunch, and we were we were cranking up. It's fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. And I'm I mean I'm no pro. I mean that's just that's the whole. I think that's the fun aesthetic of this genre. Is it's just largely i mean it's a bunch of guys that are like you know me and just in their home studio banging away at their midi controllers and and, or if you're fletcher you know banging away at your wall of uh really cool synths because you're a total (laughs) badass (laughs) are you gonna get fletcher to do a guest synth synth riff on your next song i I think think i should at this point now that i know this yeah i'm gonna start Uh, we can try you can watch my fat fingers try and like (laughs) hit hit the keys (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I also have a my one of my best friends, the best man at my wedding, Mike. He um uh, he he just got off done. He just finished touring with the um uh Glenn Miller Orchestra as a alto sax player. That's cool. So, <laughs> you know I'm going to be using him. <laughs> so, stay tuned after the episode for uh Chris's jam and check out the link in the description. Uh, to Fletcher's article, a step-by-step measurement process for the time-pressed professional. I don't know if I don't know if Fletcher that cooked that title up. One hundred percent you slash one of the editors. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. It's got some cool screenshots in it. Check it out. And uh, Kyle, any news from the from the Facebook front, man? Um, good? not much. I mean, there's been a lot of cool posts, a lot of people talking about almost getting back to work, um, which is really encouraging everyone be safe. Uh, oh, cool you know, it was episode, amazing, man. I'm glad we got to get everybody on this one. Yes. Nice to meet you, you Fletcher. Well. Thanks, Chris. Well, Absolutely. we will virtually hang out again. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the Wayne Pauly episode. What was so cool is when that episode went out. All these people started posting pictures of Wayne. That at was venues, so cool. And that was so cool. That was so, so big cool. shout out to everyone for doing that. And thanks again for Wayne for coming on the show and sharing his expertise. And thank you very much to, to Fletcher and yeah, Chris for being with us. Right. Really uh, yeah. appreciate having you thanks guys. Thank you, everyone.
Now let me see. Basic Mars package will run you 899 credits. Now that's for two full weeks of memories, complete in every detail. If you want a longer trip, that'll cost you a little more because it's a deeper implant. What's in the two-week package? Well, first of all, Doug, let me tell you, when you go recall, you get nothing but first-class memories. Private cabin on the shuttle, deluxe suite at the Hilton, plus all the major sites, Mount Pyramid, the Grand Canals, and of course, Venusville. As real as any memory in your head. Come on, don't bullshit me. No, I'm telling you, Doug, your brain will not know the difference. And that's guaranteed. Or your money back. Back, back, back.